Welcome to Covert Contact from Blogs of War, where each week your host, John Little, takes a deep dive into the national security, intelligence, and technology stories that are shaping our world. All right, welcome to Covert Contact, episode 116. I am your host, John Little. It's Thursday, so that means William Tucker is back to discuss counterintelligence issues. Uh, Today we have, well, we have a fascinating case of essentially fraud, uh, and it's one that is not unheard of um, sort of in and around uh, intelligence contractors and defense contractors, but its uh, I don't recall seeing one that went to the, the depth of this. Massive multi-million dollar fraud involving lots of legitimate government officials and uh, contractors, intelligence contractors, uh, and it ran for quite some time. William, welcome back to Covert Contact. Yeah, thanks for having me. We don't get many, uh, many cases like this, but uh, so this is kind of something that's multifaceted. So you had everything from insider threat, uh, con man, um, to uh, basically access agents. I mean, whatever term you want to throw out. Everything. Everything had a lot of it. It had all the different components of of, uh, of fraud and uh, misrepresentation. This is the case with a, uh, a former DEA agent who uh, was masquerading as a uh, CIA officer um, or a former CIA CIA officer, uh, and he's using that as that covers a way to gain access to his uh, basically a pre-planned con, um, and and that's what this really was. This guy was a con man uh, running a Ponzi scheme on, and unlike uh, your your con men that you usually hear about in the news that are bilking widows out of you know their life savings, that's not what this guy was doing. He went after a slightly less competent victim. The U.S. government uh, and brutal, yeah, and and one of the unfortunate things when you're dealing with some of these contractors that uh, have that don't necessarily have classified contracts, but they're looking to go that way. Uh, when somebody shows up on their doorstep, it's kind of like a godsend because now they have somebody with some sort of inside track, and that's what this guy really exploited. Um, and unfortunately, for some of these, uh, for some of these companies or some of these people that are supposed to be gatekeepers, once they hear those letters CIA, all of a sudden wizards and elves are real and um, they're willing to believe anything. Not only that, he's uh, he's telling them, you know, I'm a knock and, uh, you know, this is all part of some sanctioned operation. I believe he called it Alpha 214. Sounds legitimate, I guess, if you're, you know, it sounds, well, let's just put it this way. It sounds spooky. Um yeah, I don't know. A lot of our internal operations and and they had really dumb names, so that that sounds a little too sophisticated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but one of the things I want to point out, though, knock um, in this case, non official cover. So if a guy claims to be CIA and then tells you he's a knock, he's <laughs> yeah. neither. Right. Um, I mean, that just defeats the whole purpose of of cover. Is if you say, "Hey, I'm undercover," I mean, obviously, what's the point? Somebody who's undercover is going to have. Uh, they're going to have a legend that's going to be backstopped somewhere. Um, but no, so this guy, that was one of the first giveaway. Right. Exactly. So, so, so there's a pro tip for you. If somebody tells you they're a knock and they're working with the CIA, no, no, they're not. <laughs> and, and, you know, he, 
he knew the lingo. Uh, the lingo is not hard to pick up if you're if you're interested enough. And of course, he was in and around the federal government in different capacities. So there was, you know, also the ability for him to have, uh, you know, some framework to work with. Uh, but really, we were talking offline. Like, you know, when I look at a case like this, I think, and you know, I can't diagnose somebody from a distance, but. Whenever you see folks like this, this is almost like pathological, almost, uh, you know, I, I hear, I, I think sociopath when I see somebody who can lie at, um, at this level and, and, and build, you know, something of this magnitude around a whole series of lies. We're not talking about one, one lie or one point of fraud. We're talking about doing this day in day out with lots of different people, lots of organizations um, at a, at a very frantic pace. I mean, they were using government skiffs. They were meeting at uh, uh, intelligence agencies and he had a lot of people on board with this. Yeah. And it's like I mentioned earlier, this was a true Ponzi scheme where he's has, um, uh, basically a real contract to build something that doesn't exist for a program that doesn't exist. Um, and none of these companies that the government agencies involved had any clue uh, until somebody was wondering why they weren't getting paid. And that's <laughs> usually where Ponzi schemes fall apart. Is, right. uh, you, can only, you can only move money around so far before somebody says, hey, I built this for you. <laughs> well, I don't know what it's for, so we're not going to pay you. Yeah, and he um, he was quite effective in pushing that out for as long as he did, uh, using bullying tactics, things like that. Well, not uh, only that, but every time he every time he made a new contact or gained a point of access, he would very cleverly leverage that, and he just kept building on top of that. And you know, eventually, um, you know, there there are just so many data points for observers who were who were being pulled into this that signaled that it was legitimate. Yeah, you have enough names. Uh, you do, you, you know, you sign the contracts in the right places using government forms. Yeah, yeah, it looks legit. Um, and it's, and, and he played this system quite well. But yeah. Um, yeah, and I think his biggest failing is he didn't know when to get out of his own scheme. Uh, you know, take the money and run type of deal. And they never do. And that's, yeah, yeah. And then Ponzi schemes, they always fall apart. And the the difference between the successful and the failed ones, even though they all fail, is just knowing when to get out and go find that island somewhere. No extradition treaty, you know, all the all the cliches out there. But uh, yeah, he. Uh, I don't know how much money he he made personally on that. Um, I'd have to look at that indictment again, but it may not have been enough for him to run. But he was he really strung together a complex web. That uh, that really was his undoing. Oh, and it's it's still, um, despite his capabilities, which you know are significant, uh, it's amazing that it got as far as it did. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're in the same room with the agency that you claim to be working for, and nobody decides to vet you, I mean, that's both laziness, incompetence, whatever you want to call it. Because there is there is a way to vet those people within an agency. I'm not going to go into detail on that, but yes, there is a way. And that they didn't do this was, uh, it's really a black eye. Not only that, but just, uh, that somebody along the way didn't, didn't think to do that. I mean, I don't, I don't 
personally um, get into dealings with with people like that without doing my due diligence. And I think if you're even you know, no matter what your your connections to national security, if you're you're establishing business relationships, especially sensitive ones like this, without any kind of due diligence, is a it's a huge oversight. Yeah. <laughs> It, it this is this is just something else. I just see so many points of potential uh, disruption in there where where he could have been stopped early on, and somebody could have called him on his BS, but it just didn't happen. I think everybody had those dollar signs in the eyes and just kept falling blindly along until the until the bottom dropped out. Yeah, um, I mean, you mentioned uh, there's there are ways to to vet folks, and and that should have obviously been done. I wonder what. Um, Man, there's, I mean, there's a lot of after, uh, there's a lot of like review that could happen here for, uh, for cleaning these things up. And I, you know, I wonder how much of this could have been, uh, some of these companies or organizations could have done to vet this, but I, you know, I wonder how, how much of that was circumvented by executives who were trying to green light what they, uh, and fast track what they thought was essentially a covert program, right? Yeah, it certainly sounded that way. Um, and and the, the write-up in the, in the New York Times, I forget the author's name. It was actually a, a great article. I think he, he played to that. He said that a lot of these guys were uh, uh, thinking they were doing something patriotic and, and whatnot. But um, so here, here's, a, here's a few tips without going into too many details. Like I mentioned, if somebody tells you they're a knock for the CIA, they are neither. Um, that's first giveaway. Um, two is if you do get approached outside of normal channels or somebody's sounds a little bit sketchy or maybe it's an approach you're unfamiliar with one uh, and i know we say it on on your podcast all the time call the fbi call the fbi um that's always a good start because if it's nothing then that's fine but at least you did your due diligence and two there's another agency you can call that uh, is also very helpful with these things and that's the defense counterintelligence and security agency dcsa Mm -hmm. Uh, they used to go by dss but so even if you don't have a dod contract or a um uh, facility clearance or anything like that, you can still give them a call and say, hey, I was approached by this DOD, somebody claiming to be a government aid, um, government rep. Is this legitimate? Um, and as their name implies, they do have a counterintelligence component, and then they do dig into that, and they are very good at it. They're, they're one of the better agencies out there that handles these things. So uh, again, you have two avenues that you can you can reach into, but I would say always you know, always err on the side of calling the FBI if it sounds fishy. I mean, obviously, the FBI knows how to handle a case like this, and they're not going to blow it up if it's legitimate, right? Like, they they know, yeah. they know how, and, and if they're told uh, that it's, you know, that it's legitimate and that they don't have a need to know, then the FBI is going to come back to you and say you're good, and they're going to go away. Exactly. Uh, one of the things, and I, I don't want to I want to make a point here with, uh, with that. I know some companies don't like to involve the the feds or law enforcement because they don't want their name to get out there and get the bad press. But let me tell you something on our, on, uh, on your podcast, we've, uh, we've been doing this for a few weeks now, right. uh, the regular Thursday. Um, we were, we were joking about all these indictments dropping on usually Friday, the day after, uh, after you post the, the recording. Right. And a lot of those, especially with the counterintelligence, there is absolutely no indication in the media, in the public, anywhere that these things were going to drop. So that should tell you how good the FBI is at investigating something quietly, keeping a lid on it until it's time to indict. Yeah, that's a good point. So, 
again, keep that in mind and just keep that in the back of your, you know, <laughs> again, keep it in mind. Not only that, but if if you have unfortunately been targeted by, you know, somebody who's committing fraud in this arena, getting ahead of that is going to be less impactful to your company than the alternative, which is, you know, something like this, which is a, a giant a giant Ponzi scheme unraveling and you, you know, your name and the, your company's name floating around in the media, basically indicating that you've been duped by this person and that you're maybe not, uh, you're not operating at the level that you should, if you're going to be dealing with work like this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good point too. But yeah, this, uh, this is certainly a shocking case. Uh, you know, you always hope something like this would be a wake up call. But I think one of the more difficult things with this is that um, you have an outsider that was exploiting a system. So it wasn't, was the system failing? Not necessarily, but what I did see, it was more of a human failure that you can't necessarily compensate through with with policy. This is just more uh, certain things that we would call common sense just were not common. Well, I think uh, there was a good piece, a good, a good section in the article where they said uh, common sense was um, was overruled by the uh, possibility of quick profit. Yeah, and that and it was just kind of interesting because whenever you're dealing on these contracts, quick profit is <laughs> is not quick. Yeah, it it takes time to put a system together and uh, deliver it, integrate it, and whatnot. So. Uh, you maybe get paid throughout that allow the program to operate, but if you're looking at your that potential revenue, yeah, it's it's a little ways out there. But uh, I don't think these guys were considering that at all. I think it was just you had the right names, people were using the right lingo, and everybody just uh, just fell for it. You know, these cases at at this scale, obviously, like it's very rare that they get to this scale. This is unusual, but there are countless people out there misrepresenting themselves and usually their connection to CIA because that's the the one that seems to fascinate everybody. And so you or your company may not be wrapped up in a scheme this uh uh this grandiose, but there's there's hundreds if not thousands of people that misrepresent themselves at some level out there every day. Um and so that's some something that people should be thinking about. Oh yeah. I mean you know, your human resources uh, folks are far more adept at that than you'd imagine in a lot of companies. Um, yeah, it's sniffing that out, not because necessarily they have the experience. They just know, um, they just have that experience with people embellishing things. So, yep. um, yeah, it's, it's we all have that kind of internal BS detector. And um, sometimes I think we ought to listen to it a little bit more than we like to. Do you remember that case? Uh, gosh, it might be 10 years ago now. It was in Houston, and it was a guy associated with the Association of Foreign Intelligence Officers, I think. Not not, not to their knowledge. I'm, I'm not trying to, to wrap them up in this, but he, uh, he ended up dying in a shootout with police. I vaguely remember that, yeah. And he had he had basic, mo- mostly worked like law enforcement agencies and told them that, you know, the same thing, like I'm a deep cover agent 
with the CIA, and it, and I think it picked up consulting contracts and uh, tons of awards, like from like local police uh, forces and counties and things like that, uh, who were just you know honored to work with CIA. And uh, again, you know, as I was saying earlier, like I usually suspect mental illness when somebody does it at this level and this intensity. Uh, he ended up uh, running from the police and got on the phone and told them that, you know, he was a deep cover agent and that uh, he feared for his life and he wasn't going to pull over and um, either took his own life or was shot by, I think he was shot by police when he got out of the car and made threatening moves or something. But yeah, I mean, these cases do happen. There are people out there running around spinning all kinds of stories. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a profit in it, but eventually that bottom's going to fill, uh, fall out. So, I, I mean, yeah. it's, it's not always even about profit, right? Like for some people, it's like this identity that they create Notoriety. for themselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, we have the fake seals too, right? Like, oh well, yeah, we fake everybody <laughs> out there. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's a cottage industry. Yeah, and it's um, especially if you if you're I mean it's pretty audacious to operate inside the the Beltway at that that level. But you know if you're going to go work a uh, work uh, county law enforcement in South Texas, uh, it's pretty not the most difficult thing in the world to pull off. Yeah, you know, and it's one of those things again. You can still you can still vet somebody, and it just comes back to that to that thing about. Somebody telling you they're some some undercover. Well, they're not. <laughs> I, I, it's simple. If you're undercover, you're and you tell somebody, well, you're you're not undercover. Yeah, um, I mean, the whole purpose of yeah, cover yeah. is so that you never have to reveal your affiliation with the agency. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. It, it, and there's a whole thing that goes into that too. Um, so to to protect somebody undercover, so it's not yeah, uh, it's not something to be taken lightly. Um, obviously, but there's, there's just usually a lot involved to protect those individuals who actually do that. But, and, and again, the individuals actually working undercover understand that they do understand those risks and usually they don't go around telling everybody <laughs> because it's, I mean, if you understand the risks, then, um, obviously, you know, you want to keep your mouth shut and you just want to do your job, get in, get out and be done with it. But it's that, it's that, you know, cultural like perspective or view that we have on intelligence and how that works. Right. You know, and to take some of the mystique out of it. Um, I had years ago, I had somebody once tell me that the CIA is basically a glorified post office. Well, it's government, and, it's you know, I, yeah, you know, and it took me a second in there because I, a post office. And I said, well, you know, actually it does function a lot like FedEx, UPS, <laughs> any of these, uh, or, you know, of course, or the post office, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth to that. And we do forget that, you know, these things are government bureaucracies. They have their policies, procedures, there's things in place. Yeah. It's, it's not a Hollywood thriller by any means. No. Um, yeah, no, excellent point. Um, uh, when in doubt, call the FBI. Don't know how many times. Yeah, I need to. I don't know. I, we're going to need bumper stickers or something. Yeah, I need to just get like a little uh, uh, cold opener or something, little little tape that just reiterates that. But you know, we're not the official FBI podcast, but <laughs> I feel like no. It's 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 just what the FBI charter is. Yeah, um, and that's just why it defaults to that, and that's why we say it. It's, I'm not uh, carrying water for that agency. I know those guys work hard. 
but you just have to understand that when it comes to uh, federal law enforcement, they have the charter for domestic counterintelligence, uh, white collar crime, you know, all sorts of things. So they have a pretty big mandate. Is why it is why we say that so frequently. Is just because it's yeah. what they do. And again, if 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 you're out there listening and you're in, you know, maybe you've already been engaged in some kind of contract uh, where you had an unusual approach or you're working with somebody or dealing with somebody who approached you with a story like this, like it's not too late. It's never too late. It's always better, better to contact them as soon as you have the first inkling of concern. uh, And then you can at least scratch that off your list. Yeah. And of course, if the FBI uh, ever asks us to stop uh, talking about them, then uh, I'm just going to refer them all to you, John. No, (laughs) no. Um, no, I have my own challenges with, uh, with folks in this arena. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the reasons that, uh, I say no to almost every approach that comes my way is, um, just because of the, the difficulty in, um, and vetting these. And so it's just easier for me often to say, um, not interested. Thanks. And cut off the conversation. Yeah. I don't blame you one bit. And that should be a good lesson to a lot of the folks out there when you get those approaches. And you know, sometimes you just have to say no, or at the very least vet it, because it, it could be a legitimate opportunity. You don't know, but that's why that's why you vet things. That way you're you're above board, and um, you know you can do what you want to do with uh, with these contracts. Yeah, and you know I gotta say, the risk of being duped or de- or having somebody involve you in fraud, or maybe even some kind of illegal, unsanctioned. Uh, operation that might be motivated for some other reason. Um, completely legitimate people, former intelligence officers or military folks or whatever, can be the ones approaching you uh, to do that. So, you know, you just have to be super, super careful. Uh, does Just because they have something tangible in their background that, you know, would indicate that they're, you know, that they're, they're should be out doing these kinds of things. Um, that's not necessarily the case. So it's a dangerous world. Yeah, it sure is. This is definitely worth reading. Uh, I'll link to this in the, uh, the show notes so that folks can go out and read up on the story. I encourage it. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, it gets said too often, but this could end up as a movie at some point. Yeah. And you know, this is, this recalls a, a podcast, a much, much earlier podcast <laughs> since we've been doing this for years. But uh, I mentioned that sometimes you have those enterprising journalists who maybe like a year after the fact, after these cases break, um, do some fantastic legwork and write up these lengthy articles, really recapping this. And uh, again, kudos to the New York Times and their, and their journalists uh, for covering this as well as they did. Um, so yeah, it's just because something fades from view, uh, doesn't mean you should ignore it. So when you get those lessons learned and you say, well, this is kind of old news. Well, it might be a good article just recapping everything and it'd be worth your time to, to take a look cause you might learn something. Yeah. And I think even in that article itself, they said that, uh, somebody, um, was quoted in the story saying that, you know, there's much more here and it may take a long time for it to come out too. So well, there, there's yeah, that. that. That's the truth. I, I mean, some of these sometimes counterintelligence cases I know can can stretch on for decades. So yeah, it's it's no surprise. It's justice uh, justice takes a long time, but uh, it is worth it. All right, William. Well, I know uh, I know you have a busy evening, and uh, it was good to catch up with you. We'll uh, we'll do it again next Thursday. Always a pleasure. I look forward to it. 
You have been listening to Covert Contact from Blogs of War. This podcast is produced, written, and hosted by John Little. Follow John on Twitter at Blogs of War and join the conversation with hashtag CCBOW. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.